You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, we are in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. The reason why I ask you to stand is because I, I really do believe this, the, and, and so does all of the leadership of Meadowbrook. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that it is authoritative for life and practice. We believe that when you read the page from these pages in this book, the Bible, you hear the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. We ask that you stand to honor that, and you sit while I preach, because I have nothing better to offer you than what's, than, than, than what's in this book. Anything outside this book is not really worth, worth your time for me to just talk, talk to you about. Uh, we can do that at 4 o'clock <laughs> when we talk about eagles and, and stuff. But this is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 6, beginning, or I mean, sorry, chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree that bears, you know, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You may be seated. So what comes to mind when you think of false teachers? You know... We're in the, like the, the, the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. If you were here last week, or if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to check out the sermon. We looked at and unpacked what Jesus said about those two ways. There is a narrow gate, and then there's a wide gate. The narrow gate leads to the way that leads to life, and then there is the, the wide gate that leads to a way that leads to destruction. And so I, I unpacked that last, last week. And then on its heels is this statement about two types of teachers, there's the good teacher and there's the bad teacher. There is the false pro- there's the, the, the true prophet and then there's the false prophet. So when you think of that, wh- who comes to mind uh, when, when you think of that? Maybe, maybe, who come, maybe a person that comes to mind is a guy by the name of Jim Jones. How many of you have heard of Jim Jones? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. He uh, orchestrated and led a mass suicide that resulted in 909 people dying by, suicide, or by uh, cyanide-laced juice or a forced syringe in their body that had cyanide. Uh, what maybe you don't know of Jim Jones is that he started out as a Pentecostal pastor, a minister, and somewhere along the way lost, lost his brain. I, I don't know. He just went nuts uh, and, became, and was evil. Uh, he wound up becoming convinced that he was the reincarnation of Jesus uh, Vladimir Lenin, that's the guy who founded you know, the, uh, communism, or one of the guys, and then Buddha. And, uh, and so he convinced people of this. He, while in the United States, his church grew to about 3,000 people. And then because of the you know, outside criticism and pressure from the outside, he, he moved uh, over 900 of his followers to Guyana where he founded Jonestown. Founded Jonestown, and, and then because of 
continued pressure and his desire to create this socialist paradise, he convinced them that they needed to die uh, by suicide. So almost 909 of the people who died by, by this poison uh, drank this juice-infused cyanide on their own volition. And there were some who didn't want to do it, and, they were, and then they had people around them who had a syringe with cyanide in it and injected it in them. One of the most horrific suicides that we've seen. And then maybe when I ask, you know, who, who comes to mind when you think of false teachers or false prophets, maybe you think of a guy by the name of David Koresh. How many of you re recall him or have heard of him, right? Uh, he founded the Branch Davidians, or he, he was a part of the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas. He uh, committed much of the Bible to memory. Some people don't know that. And he also believed himself to be the spiritual descendant of King David, he fathered many children with multiple women in his compound, forbidding anybody else to marry. Uh, on April 19, 1993, during a raid, the compound caught fire, and 79 Branch Davidians died. 21 of those Davidians were little children under the age of 16. Uh, they found David Koresh with a gunshot wound to the head. Some think that he did it himself, or somebody actually took his life. Maybe you think of other cults. Maybe you think of Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism. Or maybe you think of uh, uh, Charles Russell, who founded the Watchtower Society, also known as Jehovah Witnesses. Or maybe you think of the World Mission Society Church of God, also known or has been nicknamed, not something they like, but others have nicknamed, the Mother God Cult. And uh, all these groups have a presence in Cheyenne. Uh, the, mother, the, the World Mission Society Church of God teaches that there are three ages. There is the, father, the age of the Father, which is the Old Testament, the age of the Son, which they say is the New Testament, and the age of the Holy Spirit, which came as a result of the uh, presence of Unsung Hung, who was the founder, uh, or they attribute him finding uh, this group. That it was the age of the Holy Spirit. Not Pentecost, but when this guy was born in 1918. Uh, he became a Seventh-day Adventist, was later excommunicated in 1962. Much of his teachings were shaped by Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. Uh, he, in 1964, although married with three children, he founded uh, Witnesses of Jesus Church of God and took on a, mit a mistress while uh, married, like I said, and her name, and this is an important name, uh, Zhang Gilja. So some of his doctrinal distinctives, why am I sharing this with you? Because there's a presence of this group in, 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 you know, around us. How many of you have encountered somebody who, said, who asked you the question, have you heard of Mother God? Or do you, would you like to go to a Bible study tonight at Walmart or, or Sam's Club or you know, some other place? So uh, he, some of his doctrinal distinctives include... Sunday worship is pagan, therefore the true day of worship needs to be on Saturday. Crosses are pagan, along with the celebration of Christmas and Easter, are pagan holidays. Uh, every Christian in the world, except those who belong to the World Mission Society Church of God, is pagan. <laughs> uh, he also uh, said that, that, he, that he believed in the Trinity, but in actuality he believed in modalism, 
Modalism is the belief that God takes on different forms. You have God the Father who becomes God the Son who becomes God the Holy Spirit. Uh, not three persons. Modalism is, is, has, was deemed long ago by the church as heretical because the Bible doesn't teach modalism. Uh, after, oh, he also uh, believed that he restored the true Passover and that a person could not be truly saved from their sins unless they celebrated the Passover once a year on the 14th day of the first month on a sacred calendar that he deemed sacred. After Unsung Hung died unexpectedly, of a, uh, he, he suffered a heart attack and on his way to the hospital had a stroke and a day later he died. Also, the group considers him to be the second incarnation of Christ who died of a heart attack. Um, just saying. His, his wife, after his untimely death in 1985, his wife and three children started New Covenant Passover Church while his mistress and some of his followers started World Mission Society of God. Under uh, Zhang Gilja's uh, leadership, that church has grown to, with, to, to over 3 million followers worldwide. She claims to be Mother God. And here are some of their do doctrinal distinctives. A person must believe and worship Zhang Gilja as Mother God to be saved. Unsung Hung uh, was the second coming of Christ, who was also understood to be God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Other requirements to be saved include annual Passover observance, regular tithing to World Mission Society Church of God, attend Zion every Saturday. Now Zion is their church building, and they have a, they have a Zion building here in Cheyenne. Uh, and then to preach often, like in places like Walmart, grocery stores, etc. That's, that's part of how they earn their salvation, is by telling people about Mother God. They're also known to misquote uh, many Bible verses. It's called proof texting. They'll take a verse out of context and say, see, our belief system is true, and it's right. And if you get them to read, like, the book of Hebrews or the Gospel of John... It could be that reading could be used to lead them out of the cult. You know, cults like this are known for um, not only their mishandling of scripture, but they're typically known for claiming some type of secret knowledge that was either lost or discovered, and that this group alone are the stewards of that knowledge. That's a mark of a cult. And it's true of Mormonism, it's true of uh, the Watchtower Society, it's true of other cults, and it's also true of the Mother God cult. And, and he, here's, I'm not preaching my whole sermon on cults, but I, I want you to, to just see this. Like, these people are ravenous wolves, and uh, they disguise themselves in sheep's clothing. Their end will be sure. They will spend eternity in the lake of fire. God, they have a shelf life. It's coming. Um, but they're obvious to anybody who's a, a student of the scriptures, who reads the Bible. If you're a person who reads your Bible, these kind of people are easy to, dis, to detect. They're easy to, to see. Because what they're teaching obviously doesn't line up. Jesus didn't die of a heart attack. He went to a cross, was put in a tomb, and on the third day walked out of that tomb. He's coming again to judge the nations. 
This Jesus also warned, if anybody says, look, there's the Christ, here he is, what did he say? Don't believe him, <laughs> right? Like, that's what the Bible says. But there are ravenous wolves who are more cunning and difficult to spot who creep into, into congregations, in, in the monks of congregations. You know, they're in your bookstores, Christian bookstores. They're on some of your TV, you know, TV channels, tel- tel- programs. They are, they're on podcasts. And maybe you've sat under one or two of them. And so what I want to do is just do, do two things. One is just, let's just explore what is the heart of a false teacher. And then Jesus tells us how we can know who the false teacher is. And my hope for you is not, not just so you can mark out heresy and false teachers and stuff. I want you to be helped in this. I want you to be challenged and encouraged. Remember, context is everything. Jesus says what he says about these two types of teachers on the heels of what he said about the narrow way and the wide way, or the narrow gate and the wide gate. And if you were here last week, what I said about that narrow gate is the gate is the cross of Christ. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on that cross. And the only way you can enter through that narrow gate is naked. You can't take your pride with you. You can't take your self-righteousness with you. You can't take you know, any other thing with you. You must enter naked. And by entering the cross of Christ, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You don't earn your salvation. It is provided for you. That is the narrow way. The wide way is everything else. And uh, Jesus said, Why? that way leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to life. All of that is within the context of what he says about false prophets and false teachers. The heart of a false teacher is that they intend harm upon God's people. They might be very conscious of it. Maybe they're subconscious of it. And there's a reason why Jesus warns us of such people. I, you know, as I said about the, the narrow gate being the cross of Christ, uh, false teachers will either say Christ is too much or he is not enough. False teacher will tell you that the narrow way it may be a legitimate way to heaven, but will insist that you can enter with whatever you would like to bring with you, such as your own righteousness, a flippant attitude toward your own sin, your own pride. False teachers and false prophets have you know, always found their way amongst God's people. This is nothing new. It's, you, you see it all through the Bible, and you see it all through human history. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 through 19, I, I won't have the words on the screen. If, you're, if you have a Bible, you can look there if you'd like. But I, I just want to highlight this for you. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet who... <laughs> basically had no converts as a result of his ministry. His whole role and his whole ministry was to proclaim that God's judgment was coming, and, uh, and people didn't want to listen to it. And then you had another group of, of, of prophets and priests who, who were telling the people something completely different. They're like, no, God's judgment's not coming. Continue to be comfortable. Everything's fine. You, you, don't, you have nothing to worry about. While Jeremiah was saying, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. 
And so in verse 13 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 6, it begins with these words, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, meaning they put a band-aid over a cancer sore, uh, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they, uh, were they uh, ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not all at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Think about that. It sounds like an indictment on the church. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. And then he continues. I want you to hear this and see if you can hear some, uh, some of the overtones of what Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, uh, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. What are the ancient paths? It's the law of God. It's the word of God. Where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. So this, what Jesus warns us of here is nothing new. It is as ancient and as old as the garden. And so the prophets and priests dealt falsely with the people and assured them that there was no judgment coming. And by doing so, they encouraged them in their sin. That's the mark of a false teacher. They ignore the holiness of God. They ignore the justice of God. They ignore the righteousness of God. And so there's this guy by the name of Daniel Aiken who wrote in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount this, and I just want you to hear this. He said, disciples of Jesus must never let their spiritual guard down. They must be spiritually discerning testing every teaching by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Eloquent speech is not the issue. Listen, faithfulness to the Bible is. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian church. He said, you know, there's going to be false teachers. There are false teachers. There are people who claim to be apostles who are not apostles. And this is what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Meaning, the devil is really good at portraying himself as innocent, as safe, as, as an angel of light. Then you should not be you know, surprised that false teachers can do the same thing. And the reason why false teachers lead people astray, lead God's people astray, is because, um, it's because some of God's people are ignorant of, of God's words. And maybe worse, those who claim to, be, to belong to God reject his word. 
So there's this really sweet passage in Acts chapter 20 where, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, spent three years with the Ephesian church. And he spent, I think he spent the most time with this church compared to all the other churches. He spent three years with this church, and it was time for him to leave because he had to continue the mission that God had sent, you know, set before him. And so he met with the elders. And it's so sweet because there was a lot of tears and, and prayer as they were preparing to say goodbye. And, and this is what Paul said to these elders. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul said, I've labored day and night. I've opened the scriptures with you day and night because my heart's desire for you was, was to protect you and to help you in your relationship with the Lord and so that you would grow. It was all centered on the word of God. Paul never said, look at me, look how great I am, look how marvelous I am. Paul understood himself appropriately to be the chief of sinners. He, he wrote about it. And that, that, that God's grace was greater than all of his sins. His whole ministry, all of his teaching was laced with, Jesus is awesome, he is greater, his mercy is more, his mercy is more than all of my sin." And the way that you stay alert, brothers and sisters, the way you stay alert so that you can identify who the wolves are is through his word and following Jesus, like on the narrow way. I promise you, if you follow Jesus in such a way that you want to model your life after him, like as we've been spending all this time in the Sermon on the Mount, if your nose is in this book, you'll be able to identify the wolves. Every time you walk into a Christian bookstore, anytime you turn on the television, there's a certain station, I'll leave it unnamed, because I know, think some of you watch it. Um, every time you're encountered by that false teaching, you'll be able to sniff out who the wolves are. And Paul did the same thing. He's like, I've labored and I, I've, I've cried and I've prayed and I, I, I've spent all these years with you so that you would be protected. Ravenous wolves are going to come. So look for them. Somebody said shepherds are called to you know, tend the sheep and shoot the wolves. And you know, in my in my ministry time, there have been I've, we've encountered wolves. Not to, not here particularly, but just over the years that I've served as a pastor. And um, yeah, it's not comfortable. I had one person come in to the church. We <laughs> we were uh, there was a guy who was candidating to lead worship at Northwest Baptist Church, and. Um, and the ushers came up to me and said, uh, Keith, there's a guy out in the foyer 
who we think might be demon-possessed. Um, can you come out? <laughs> and so I had to tell the guy who was candidating, <laughs> this is his first Sunday, I said, hey, uh, apparently there's some demon-possessed guy out in the foyer. Can you just like close the worship service time? <laughs> I need to go out and deal with this person. And I walked out, and this person looked at me, and he said, he said his name, some weird thing, and he had glasses on, and I just said, I, said, I asked him, remove your glasses, please, because he could have been on drugs. He may not have been possessed. And I said to him, I don't, I don't care who you are. Jesus Christ is Lord, and one day you will bow before his authority. And now you need to leave. <laughs> And then he said, he said again, his name, I said, Jesus Christ is Lord. You will submit to him one day. You will be judged by him. Now you need to leave. And he just turned around and walked out the door. Never saw him again. There are other people who are more subtle, who creep into churches, who, who, who are dangerous. And the, and, apostles, and, and the other apostles said, they introduce these destructive doctrines. And so be alert. Well, how do you be alert? Know what the truth is. They say, uh, I've never worked in a mint, but they say those who work in a mint never have to be trained to identify what, false, what the false currency looks like or feels like because they've, they've been handling the real stuff for so long that when the fake stuff guy comes by them, they already know what it, that it's fake. This is why it's so important to, be, to sit under the preaching of God's Word, but not just that. To be plugged into a life group to be on a regular, uh, regularly open your, your Bible and be and exposing yourself to the Word of God. So Jesus, in verses 16 and following, tells us how we can recognize false teachers. And he says you, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Like this is a legitimate reason to judge. He says uh, in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And, and he just elaborates on that. We have become, I don't know if people talk about this on our street, but I'm very mindful that we are the house with the dead tree in the front. We, we replaced our dead tree that was there with a living tree, and it appears it might be dead. So I'm applying what I read in the Bible. Like Jesus told a parable about a tree that was not bearing fruit, and, and so in this parable, the, the landowner says, instead, before you cut it down, wait a second, before you cut it down, well, let's just till the ground a little bit, add some manure, give it some time, and, give it, and, and if it doesn't produce fruit after a period of time, then we'll cut it down. I finally found a purpose for our rabbit. Not that he's fertilizer for the tree. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, well, maybe this will work. Uh, all, the, all the rabbit poop and all the, the wood chips and everything, I've been putting around the tree, hoping that by spring it will come back to life. I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Some of you who know about trees, maybe you're going to come up to me afterward and say you're killing it even more. I don't know. I'm just trying. But what's going to happen? It will, <laughs> we will not keep it in the front yard if it's, if it's dead. It will be cut down. How do we know that it's dead? Because the branches are dry and it does nothing. It just sits there. And, and so, so Jesus says, look, a diseased tree will bear bad fruit or it won't bear anything at all. And so you'll recognize what's good and what's bad. Grapes come from grapevines and, and not thorn bushes. Figs come from fig trees, not thistles. That's the point that he's saying here. 
It's not rocket science. Just because somebody says something that you like doesn't mean it's true. That's why my heart for you is that you will bleed, sweat, cry the Bible. That you would take anything I say or anything that you hear and measure it against the Word of God. The role of a pastor is not to be popular. He's to speak on God's behalf, even if the sheep bite him for it, right? Like we sit under the Word of God, and, and because it, it's in the Word of God is life, and it shows us how to walk this narrow way. Good teaching comes from teachers and prophets who fear God and love his people. And it goes in that order. <laughs> they fear God and they love his people. And so, uh, again, Daniel Aiken says something here so good. It is so good. I, I want to share it with you. The words will be on the screen. He said there are two essential tests that will expose those working um, to slip into your communities who are wolves. He said there are two tests that you can use. There's the doctrinal test, and then there's the practical test. So this is what he says. The doctrinal test asks this. Do their teaching, or does their teaching, line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone? It asks whether they avoid the deadly mathematics of false teachers and that, that, that add to the Bible. This is so good. He says, um, so what is it, what, what's the deadly mathematics? Do they add to the Bible? Do they subtract from the, from the person and work of Christ? Do they multiply the requirements of salvation? Do they divide the people of God by, divisive and destructive, by a divisive and destructive spirit? That's so good. The practical test asks, are they antinomians on the one hand or legalists on the other? Antinomians are basically, I, I talked about it a little bit last week or the week before. Uh, it's also known as free grace. Basically, I can, I can believe the facts of the gospel, but I do not have to, it doesn't have to affect the way I live my life. So that's antinomian. Or are they legalists, meaning they add to the work of Christ? Yeah, Jesus is good, but you need to do A, B, and C in order to get to heaven. And so that's the practical test. That's how you recognize false teachers or bad, versus bad teachers. False teachers and, and false prophets are not interested in the safety and spiritual well-being of God's people. They're only interested, listen, they're only interested in their own glory. When you've got somebody in front of a camera shouting to his followers that God had empowered him to blow away through the Holy Spirit, COVID-19, that is a false teacher. When you got somebody lining their pockets so they can have a jet to fly from point A to point B, that is the evidence that he is a false teacher. There are so many of them. If he's driving a Ferrari, that is a false teacher. They avoid the justice and righteousness of God. They avoid the holiness of God. And they only preach peace, peace. So Paul elaborates on this and he warns us of such people. He says, for in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their what? 
their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The Apostle Peter warned of the same people in his letter in 2 Peter. He said, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not, not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This has always been the case. So Jesus, how do you recognize these people? You will, you will recognize them by the fruit that they bear. And if you're walking in step with Jesus and following him, and you're listening to the words of God, it will be pretty clear who the good teacher is and who's the bad teacher. You know, they, they avoid portions of the word of God that make others uncomfortable, such as the fallenness and depravity of man and the final judgment that is to come. They promise heaven without suffering, blessing without pain, and salvation without a cross. These are all marks of a false teacher or a bad teacher. They puff themselves up with pride, they fleece the people of God to their own profit, and they claim a power of their own that the people need. These are men and women that the Apostle Peter described as this, waterless springs and mists driven by a storm for speaking loud boasts of folly they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are who are barely escaping from those who live in error they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption there's this guy by the name of john gill he was a english pastor in the 1700s and he, he he said this this is so so good the words are on the screen so you can follow along This is so good. He says this, and he's describing here, he's describing false teachers. He said, when doctrines are contrary to the perfections of God, repugnant to the scriptures of truth, when they tend to depreciate the person and offices, blood, righteousness, and sacrifices of Christ, to lessen the glory of God's grace, to exalt the creature, and to fill men's minds with notions of the purity, self-sufficiency, and ability of human nature, when they are calculated to feed the pride and, uh, and vanity of men, to get money and gain applause, to serve their own interests and gratify men's lusts and passions, they may be easily discerned what they are and from whence they come. Amen? It's not rocket science. And the only way you will be able to identify the wolves is if, if you're so familiar with the true shepherd, the shepherd of the scriptures, the God of the Bible. And any time, it's just, my advice to you is anytime you hear something, because you can have false teachers and false prophets, and you can also have bad teachers and, bad, and, and pastors who've not done their homework. There are things I've said that are just dumb, like, just, just off the cuff, I've said stupid stuff, and I've had to come back and say, you know what, what I said was stupid. Like, like, my hope for you is that you'll be able to, anytime you hear me say something or hear anybody else say something, it just doesn't, you're just not sure that you'd measure it against the Word of God. I hope that you'll do more than just when you're not sure, that you'll do it all the time. 
that you'll measure what's said from the front here or what you read in books from the Christian bookstore and what you hear, that you'll measure it against the Word of God. My prayer for you, Meadowbrook, is that reading the Bible and following the Lord, like you'll be just as desperate for that as you are to breathe air. It's life. The psalmist says it's a lamp unto your feet. I love the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. I preached, a couple of years ago I preached on them. You know, they came as a result, out of the wake of, or in the midst of, you have the Western, the Western church and the Eastern church. You just had one church for a while, right? For the first 300 years or so. And then, I forget what year it was, but you had the Western church break off of the Eastern church. The Western church is what's known as the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic simply means universal. The Roman Catholic Church. And uh, you had a Bible that was, in the la- that was not in the language of the people. It was in Latin. And it was deemed by those wolves that filled those pulpits and those churches that nobody was allowed to read the Word of God unless they learned Latin. And that it could not be translated into the language of the street, like German and English and other uh, languages. And so you had people in the church and outside the church who protested against that. That's where we get Protestant from. They protested against that. And, and, and you know, God did a marvelous thing. How many of you own Bibles right now? Right? I said Bibles because chances are you have multiple Bibles. And the reason why you have a Bible in your language that you can read today is due to the Protestant Reformation and how God used these men and women who stood up and protested. And, and so you, out of that, out of the wake of that, you had the five solas, which are these. Uh, the sola scriptura means scripture alone. What is, what, what is it that, that guides and governs the church? Scripture alone. Not the pope, not councils. Scripture alone. Christ alone is the head of the church, not the pope. And salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, period, for the glory of God alone. You don't have to do anything to earn your way into heaven. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to pay the church to make sure that you get to heaven. What you need is the cross of Christ alone uh, that Jesus died upon and and the guarantee that, that, that he provided when he rose from the grave. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. And it's through the Bible that you get to see the Son. Like my hope and prayer for you, Meadowbrook, is like that's what I want for you. And not just me, the elders and others in this church. That's how we become a healthy church. I am one of you. I, I, yeah, I'm set aside for the preaching and teaching of God's word. That's, that's biblical. Um, I want to be faithful to that. But I need these words just as much as you do. I am a member of this body just as much as you are. I am not more important than you. I am one of you. And this is, this is what faithfulness looks like. We 
listen to the voice of our God and we follow him through his words and we obey him. And so Jesus says here, and I'm, I'm drawing this to a conclusion here, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now what's interesting is earlier on in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus' cousin, a guy by the name of John, also known as John the Baptist, said this, even now the axe is laid at the, uh, to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The axe is at the root of every false teacher and every false prophet. Their doom is sure. There is a judgment coming. But that same axe, brothers and sisters, is at the root of those who would walk that wide way, go through that wide gate. John's message was, repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the same message today, repent, repent. The gospel of Jesus Christ can save you from your sins. And as so, um, Ryan comes up, you can, we're going to sing a final song, but I just, I just want you to hear this. Like, this is applicable for us today, and not just so that you can point out who the wolves are. There's so much more going on here. There's a warning here. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. There are those, and I'm getting into you know, the, the next passages that follow this, but there are those who have been in church all their life or a good chunk of their life who believe that they're saved simply because they grew up in a Christian home, they read their Bible maybe every day, and, uh, and they attend church most Sundays. That is not what gets you saved. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. And, and the evidence that you genuinely believe that is not rotten fruit, it's good fruit. Some people will produce more fruit than others, but there's fruit nonetheless. And so Paul wrote a letter to this pastor that he considered a son who, who took on the pastoral role in Ephesus. His name was Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, he said something. He charged Timothy with a charge that I believe every pastor or every man who's, who's pursuing ordination should, should, should hear these words. It was, it was one that uh, was shared with me by Ed Hardesty. I was sharing with the first, the first service sharing um, that I finally ordered a, a tape gadget that you put a cassette tape in. I have lots of those. Some of you are asking, what's, that? what's a cassette tape? <laughs> Ask somebody older than you uh, when you leave. And it converts what's on the tape into a digital file. So yesterday I have a tape of an interview that I conducted when I was 14 years old, when I was in eighth grade of my father. Got to hear his voice for the first time in forever. Um, I even cried. It dawned on me while I was listening to that. This is, what this is what messed me up emotionally. It was a year before my father became a Christian that I conducted that interview. He was talking about the most important thing somebody can do is believe in Jesus, and he didn't even know this Jesus he was talking about. And, uh, and the months leading up to his death, he had an affair, and I had to confront him. I've shared that story before. I have another tape that's my ordination charge from Ed Hardesty. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm looking forward to listening to it. He said to me, 
there were two individuals who spoke that day, and it was a, a room full of people who were there to watch. And he said to me, he said, I'm speaking to my son now. His name is Keith Miller, my son in the faith. And he said, he looked at me, and he said, Kruksan Tanlagan, preach the word, and preach on ashes if you must. Don't offer your people slop. You give them the word of God. And, and I'll always remember that. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, that Paul charged this young pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Kruksantan Lagan, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. The time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. My brothers and sisters, I think one of the clear marks of a false teacher is uh, a person who would seek to convince you that Christ is not enough. And I want you to know Christ is enough. He is enough. He is everything that you need. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.